0: podcast with your hosts Stan Drayev
1: and Nick Bracha.
0: Welcome to episode 118 of the MMA Geek Sea level podcast This is your host Stan Drye my co-host the Algermain Sterling to my Piotr Yan Title Reign Nick brought you, it is good to be on with you. We're gonna discuss an exciting fight night, UFC 267. Nick, the fact that this isn't a pay-per-view is wild to me because it's worth every penny of about $42. Um, I am going to watch it for free and I don't have to pirate it this time, so I'm kind of excited about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just in a really good mood because I gained up some important ground last yes, week. Yes, you have I my def- friend. Because I defeated you left you in the center of the octagon, mouth open, (laughs) eyes looking up at the lights. Your mom and your wife worried about you crying in the front row.
0: Damn it, Nick. Oh, low, man. That's low. Nick, congratulations on on closing the gap between us by half a point. I am right now at 100. (laughs) I'm at 108 points. You're 97. So you you still have – like if you keep going at half a point per – Like, you need another four months, four or five months this year to close the gap if you're, like, really consistently doing this half a point at a time thing. But honestly, you are slowly creeping up closer. Um, So good on you for that. 11 points apart at this point, Nikolai. Still some making up to do, but I do think there's some underdog value on this upcoming UFC 267 card. Blackhawks versus Glover. We got fucking Yan versus Sanhagen. I'm super psyched for this one. But we're going to get into that in the next segment. Let's get into last week's uh, fight – Night Nick, a really good card, man. Marvin Vittori, Paulo Costa, one for the ages. A really good competitive back and forth battle. Everything you could ask for from a pair of main adventures, man. What did you think of this matchup?
1: You know, this this got everyone to really pay everyone in the MMA world to pay attention because leading up to it, Paulo Costa, who's been kind of kind of a nut job um, for a few, you know for a few years now with his whole uh, flippant approach to weight, completely unapologetic about the fight changing to 205. And then you've got Marvin Vittori, who kind of has, he's not loved by fans. He's a little bit arrogant. He's a, Nor- he's a Northern Italian, I want, to, I want to say, you know who's been in the UK and the US for a long time. He's a little bit snobby. Um, and he's, he hasn't come off great. Uh, as a as a guy, he hasn't exactly been a charmer, but leading up to this fight, the way that he handled himself, the way that he responded to Costa, that he, he took the fight, he kept a he kept a good positive attitude. It was kind of like his biz being face turned moment, where all of a sudden there are all these Marvin there were all these new Marvin Vittori fans leading into the fight. And the UFC kind of put some extra muscle behind him from a promotional perspective um, because, I think, of what, of what he did and his good attitude all week. And then he gets in the cage, okay, at a weight class that's not his against a guy that looked to outweigh him by 20 pounds. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that Marvin Vittori is a 10 out of 10 fighter in any one area, But he's one of those guys who's like a seven or eight out of ten in every area and he he put it together he had incredible pressure and output and durability um and he just this this is a guy who fights with so much self-belief that even in the face of just monstrous video game head kicks and and just bombs, you know, coming at him. Or even if he's blocking them, he's still he's still feeling something, and he doesn't stop moving forward. He doesn't stop responding with a four or five strike combination. Yes, he could have thrown more kicks, um, but his hands were on point. He had a strong one too, and he is he may not be great in any one area, but he's a great. But all as all his skills put together with those intangibles. Um, including self belief, he's a he's a great fighter. I don't know if he'll, if he'll be champion, but at 28, he's got a shot. And against anyone in the in the division outside of Israel Adesanya, I'm probably picking him to win.
0: Yeah, um, I'd like to look at the division before I am able to make a statement like that. But I, I agree with you, man, Vittori. Like he's got a relentless confidence about him that people like. Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey have right no matter what happens in a fight no matter whether he's losing or he has some some bad moments or or what have you he never stops believing in himself he doesn't buy into the idea that Israel Adesanya is a better fighter than him even though he is right there is a benefit to that Nick for a fighter you want a coach to to kind of supersede that and to kind of and to kind of temper that when needed but that confidence is important I think that's a major factor I talked about how post Israel Adesanya, Vittori came off of that thinking he was a better fighter somehow, and Paulo Costa got embarrassed, so there's like a mental frame difference in this matchup, and to be honest Paulo Costa's off the rocker as he seemed leading into this matchup didn't perform that way, like he looked good Yeah. there's a big difference between the Paulo Costa prior to the Adesanya matchup and the one that we've seen since in his two losses, and it's funny because he's developing his game, but it's resulting in a couple of losses in a row here, right? against Romero against Uriah Hall against Johnny Hendricks Uh, against his first couple UFC opponents he was a berserker he would just move forward with absolute bombs non-stop just, just hooks and uppercuts right almost no straight punches to his game back then now he seems to have have been developing his his the snap and his punches leading into his first five-round fight against Arasania, And unfortunately, he just wasn't like I think Arasania's fakes is what kept him out of commission, kept him from actually throwing much, but he was trying to temper himself for the five-rounder. Now we see that he can fight a five-round fight, especially if he doesn't have to cut weight, mind you. And in this matchup, he looked really good in that fifth round, man. Right? He looked really good in that second round. If he would have just put one more round in the bank. This fight either could have been his or could have been a draw with that point deduction uh, that Jason, is it Herzog, I, I believe, took yes. from him um, in, at some point in the fight where he ended up poking Vittori in the eye. Here's the thing. There's some controversy about whether that's fair or not. Um, I, I think there is an argument to be made that Herzog was probably punishing him for the, for the debacle with the weight I, and all of that.
1: I don't. I, I, disagree. I disagree. Here's the thing. Based mm-hmm. on the, micro, the microphones and the UFC camera work. If Jason Herzog said that he had communicated a warning to Paulo Costa at least once, possibly a second time, and mentioned it in those exchanges, and if Herzog saw that Paulo Costa heard it, mm-hmm. that's that's his judgment to make. We don't have we don't have the same view and we didn't have the same audio access. So he was taking that point based on the fact that he had given a prior warning. Now the contact that he had made to Vittori's eye wasn't in that prompted the earlier warning apparently wasn't intense enough to stop the action but if he verbally communicates a warning and Costa and he knows that Costa hears it, I've got no problem with it.
0: Well from what I understand, um, intention is one factor in in taking a point. Uh, a stern warning having been given prior is another factor and the last factor is how much damage that illegal strike does. I don't think any of them, we're in place in this matchup. Now, it didn't make a difference, right? The bottom line is that Polacosta lost three to two, three rounds to two. He would have lost three rounds to two regardless. It wouldn't have made a difference had he not lost that point. But, but uh, I think like so far we've had only really three circumstances in which a justified point has been deducted. The reason I think, as much as like I realize that you almost have like a mulligan, you can you can commit a foul or two in in every fight before point gets deducted, and that's not right. And at the same time, you take one point off Nick, and the odds of a fighter winning that fight goes down significantly. Odds of a draw is is decent, but it's incredibly difficult to win. Despite that, uh, although we did see we, we did see um, uh, who was it? Uh, somebody overcome that in, in, in on this card. It was uh, Francisco Trinaldo. Who had a point deducted from him and still ended up getting a win because he clearly, uh, yes. I thought clearly won that fight. But at so the same, he, his at his the same, yeah.
1: well, let me add, let me add one more thing before yeah. you go. Just trying to talk all over me, like you never. do sometimes. I never cause do that because you, fa- you fancy yourself an alpha. Um, I'm a beta at best. What? Well, yes, I know. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> was it that, was it uh, Choi? After getting deducted a point, it's possible that the pressure that you're talking about in a three-round fight, having knowing that you've lost a point. It could like psychologically that could have made that could have caused him um, to take unnecessary risks to rush to essentially right. leave himself open to that amazing pivot that Alex Caceres did um, in order to grab his back and secure a choke. So I'm act- right. I mean, I actually am su- I'm supporting your point there where although we did see if we saw both a, f- a fighter not impacted by it and a fighter who possibly rushed into defeat because he had been penalized.
0: Yeah, well, it, it is, and you're right. We had a couple different versions of it, but I will say this. One point in a three-round fight, Nick, that's a death knell. You better have hit somebody badly in the groin and seriously affected their ability to fight, and that's totally fair. You better have oh, it poked was, the guy it was, in the eye so bad it that he it barely that, see.
1: He deserved mm-hmm. it for the strike that he delivered. That was a... Well, it it,
0: it, a, it didn't seem like Vittoria it didn't seem like it was No, 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 no,
1: no. no. Sungwoo in the three-round fight. Oh, yeah, fight. yeah, yeah. Sungwoo Seung- yes, yes, yes. Choi that for Nick. Knee- for Neen Caceres in the skull. Well, he
0: he basically screwed himself because he would have finished that fight, I would say, nine out of ten times had it not been for that bad decision making. We've seen that many times, including with uh, UFC two, 267 co-headliner, uh, what's his name, Piotr Right, We've seen a guy get excited after hurting an opponent and land that knee on the ground. It's a It's a silly mistake that young fighters make. Um, it happens. He screwed himself. It, it was so bad for his career that he did that. That, that one moment really screwed him. But you're right. It, it was a hard enough knee. It deserved a stoppage, but he gave uh, Caseras a break from all the other strikes as well, not just from that strike. So it, it, it's a tricky situation. But my point is that we need to create a system in which in which a guy can win a round 10, um, 9.5, for example, in my opinion. Because, dude, like there are some rounds that are so fucking close and the winner gets 10 points, the loser gets nine. And then there are some rounds that are damn near dominant and the winner gets 10 points, the loser gets nine. That makes almost no sense to me. We either need to give out 10 eights uh, more freely and 10 sevens for like a really bad one-sided round, or we need to adjust the point value. Like there, there is issues with that. And I think same thing with this, like a quarter or a half a point deduction in that Vittori situation, maybe would make a little more sense, would be a little more fair in a five-rounder. It's just so fucking much if you take one point away in not a 12-round boxing fight, but in a three- or five-round MMA fight. But we do need to quickly move on. I just want to say, Paulo Costa basically, I think, planned not to make weight, didn't kill himself, decided that he was going to be at his best energy-wise. He was going to be as heavy as he wanted to be. Didn't cut a... Nick, he ended up cutting five or six pounds from when he arrived if you take his word for him weighing 211 pounds when he arrived uh, in town so so and he his makes excuse
1: me... was a torn bicep oh you can't do yeah, road work yeah. when you have a it's, torn bicep it's, absolutely it's i think
0: what it what it really i totally agree with you what it really was is he decided that he wanted to be as fresh as he could be in a five-rounder against a well-conditioned durable opponent and that's the reason why this was as competitive as it as it was um the ufc i'm sure is going to make him fight at 205 unless the lee uh unless uh unless his management's super convincing, which I doubt. Um, I think they're going to make him fight at 205 at least once. And who knows? Maybe he'll stick around at 205 for a while the way that Kelvin Gastelum did at 185. But look, Vittori is extremely durable, well-conditioned. He doesn't hit hard. He's not dangerous. And that's really what I think will keep him from ever touching that title. But he could very well vanquish a lot of the other guys. The guy still has, uh, what is it? Uh, Vittori has two losses. I think he's he's young.
1: I think he's young. I think he's actually going to develop more power still. I think, I think
0: you're right. I think snapping his punches would be such a huge difference maker because he's got like the body weight to to engage with power. It would. Yeah, he, put, waste, he pushes. He
1: pushes just a little bit. Yes, I think quite a bit. Um, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, but I, I think I, I think I, that I would just, be his I, I believe in this, I believe points. in this guy.
0: Yeah, he's dude. His his mind, his mindset alone is out of this world. So so I agree with you. He's got and a champion's mindset. Um, he's not super bright though, but he does have a champion's mindset.
1: I'm not. I'm actually not convinced he's not super bright. His first of all, his English is fantastic. For uh, yes, um, I yeah, I'm not convinced he's not super bright. I just think he's kind, I just think he's, he's kind of arrogant. A couple of
0: meatheads, both arrogant, but Vittori less of kind of a douche or less. Of a oh, I think, I think, I think, I think
1: Costa is way dumber than Vittori. You,
0: you, um, you, he could be, but Costa's English, like his English being so far behind is a factor there. Right. He hasn't spent nearly as much time in the States and his coaches don't happen to like they happen to speak the exact same language that he would prefer to speak. So his English development hasn't been quite the same, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. Uh, Polo Costa clearly was in shape here. A lot of bullshit excuses for not making weight, but I'm glad Vitoria. So, yeah, right and Vittoria
1: next. You know, Vittoria should either fight the winner of Brunson Cannoneer, unless that person's going to get is going to go right up and face uh, the winner of Adesanya, Adesanya. Whitaker. Yeah. Um, or you know, a good a good fight for Vittoria, even though this is further down the rankings. If um, if somebody comes out of the Luke Rockhold Strong Strickland fight, if that happens. Uh, looking like gold, Vittori is a good. Then you've got someone who just went from heel to face, uh, fighting, a, you know, fighting a heel. I'd love to see Vittori Strickland.
0: And uh, I would say this: there's only one matchup that I would really prefer over either of the ones you just mentioned. And what's that? If If Robert Whitaker, if and that is a big if in my oh, opinion. Yeah. If he loses to Adesanya, I think Vittori yes. Whitaker makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah, and I agree too.
1: And well, yeah. also if if I mean if Whittaker beats Adesanya, which I don't think any of us are counting on, uh, Marvin Vittori getting a getting a shot at a different champion, um, I think I think yes. he I yes. think he deserves it for what he, just, for what he did this week and how agreeable he was. I would not have taken that fight. I would not. have No, no.
0: I part. think a lot of people wouldn't. And part of maybe what kept him in the fight, outside of the fact that he's kind of a dumb jock in my opinion, is I think the fact that you assume that your opponent's out of shape. Given those circumstances, just didn't turn out that way. So he, it he really it. like he gave up a huge advantage to Costa and still beat him. So really impressive stuff. I I'm, yeah, you uh, really I'm, don't. You I'm, really, I'm really seem to have a mind. problem
1: with Italians.
0: Man, it's talking about I'm talking about. It. It's just like dumb jocks that I don't dumb love jock. Okay. But but for the record, I really enjoy watching both Polo Costa and Marvin Vittori fight. Both push the pace. Both uh, at least throw mostly power shots. But here's the thing: Marvin Vittori is incredibly tough, Nick. He took. I think he took over fifty percent of Costa's shots, and Costa only throws extreme power shots. Incredibly impressive, dude! Like the f- the only reason Vittori won, or the main reason he won, is because he threw one hundred more strikes than Paul Costa. He was less accurate than Costa. That's that's the interesting thing about it, right? Yeah, Costa was extremely accurate in this matchup. It's it's actually rather well, shocking.
1: Vittori Vitoria. It's because this is why Vitoria was able to rock him a couple times. Is Vittori does the Nate Diaz does the Diaz brother thing? Where he's yep. throwing change ups, he's throwing fastballs, yep. he's throwing yep. just to throw. Like he's throwing, he's 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 throwing so that you develop certain, so you get lazy and develop certain expectations for what a strike's going to be, and with that surprise, you're able to deal damage.
0: Yeah. Plus, if you're a striker and you don't have a lot of power, either either like extreme technique is the way to go and win decisions that way, or you want to overwhelm your opponent with offense and that is uh vittori's approach that, that that's like i think the only way he knows how to fight really good fight really good main event uh, leading into this weekend yeah and nick we have to talk about if only quickly the co-main event grant dawson ricky glenn you picked grand dawson i think he was your first pick um i th- i had no serious uh, no was, was he he, not? Oh,
1: he might know he might have been he might have yeah, been I th-
0: th- I think I think he may have been and it's it's understandable you believe in the prospect. I just he was like, my like first Glenn. pick.
1: You got your your yep. first pick was also wrong, but we'll talk about that's that. That's
0: right. That, that that's right, yeah. And and Ricky Glenn, man, dude, like he's a super experienced veteran. He's got a wrestling background, even though that didn't it didn't look so great in the first couple of rounds. Got conditioning. He breaks guys, right? And he broke Grant Dawson here late in the third round. In my opinion, he choked him out and should have probably been given the win. But I think a draw is not terribly unreasonable. Um, Grand Dawson was on his back, like un- like b- breathing really hard in the way that you do if you're waking up from being choked out. So like, he was out. He was, if that choke was held on for another second, second and a half, he would have been completely unconscious. Um, he was out the same way that mirab davashvili was out uh, in that loss to Ricky Simone. Like, it, it, almost the exact same position on his back. The referee's telling him to get up and he can't. He can't even respond because he's not fully conscious. Um, so he, he was really, really fortunate to walk away with, uh, with a, a draw there. Here's the thing. If your corner has to help you get up to your feet, if you can't get up at the end of a round, you're TKO'd. He could not get up at the end of that round. That should have been a finish. So I think you're you're fortunate to walk away with a half a point, and Grant Dawson's fortunate not to walk away with the second win of his career. But really good fight by both guys. I wouldn't complain about a five rounder between these two. Maybe uh, maybe as a main event for a really low level fight night. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you you kind of called it. Like we, it was just a question was was he going to have enough in the tank to deliver in the third round, and he did not.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, and but he he put in some work in those first two rounds, and that's that's a lot of work. Of but yeah. it
1: takes a lot of it takes a lot of effort. I don't know what he's got to exactly, do his, that's what is. his conditioning, but because um, it's not like the guy's out of shape, it's just. No. It's yeah. energy
0: management. He has to like expend so much energy to keep getting takedowns. See, like which makes you think back to Matt Hughes and Randy Couture and all those guys back in the day who never got tired throughout five rounds, even in their like mid thirties. Why? Because they were on fucking steroids and and probably you know whatever else cocktail will help you with your conditioning. Um, it, it, like this shows you, right? No modern day fighter who's off the juice can get heavy, hard, consistent takedowns for three, four, five rounds the way that Matt Hughes used to be able to do. Really raises questions, at least in my mind, about that, but we don't have to get into that. Nick, uh, both guys look really good at different points in the fight. I think both can move on to different matchups. I'm glad neither took a loss here. Both look really good in their own moments. And Grant Dawson, you know, looking more and more human. He lost the first half of the of his prior fight, in which he walked away with a win with a super, super late stoppage. And then he ended up uh, looking really bad in the second Uh, part of in the last part of this fight so we're seeing ways that he can be taken advantage of that he can be beaten it's just a matter of facing the right opponent um i think after this a little bit of a step down would be ideal for him unless the ufc is willing to let him get a a prospect loss um outside of that nick um alex caceres man came back sung wu choi made a huge mistake he rocked him badly as i expected he would in the first round which is why i picked him and then he made the huge mistake that Piotr Jan made. He landed a knee that gave Caceres the opportunity minutes to recover from the terrible rocking that he experienced. That said,
1: Caceres, Caceres recovered pretty well shortly after. like it was a hard knee and it probably would have finished the fight, but he 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 shook it off. You
0: know? I actually don't he, think the, I don't think the knee was as hard as some of the other shots that Wu Troy landed right before then. It was just terrible decision making because Caceres wasn't like, "Oh, I'm down. I, I'm not conscious." Like, uh like Sterling was right. He was more like, "Whoa, dude! Like that was illegal." Like he he responded as if he realized that was an illegal strike. Didn't pretend like it was hurt out of this world. Yeah. So like, uh, so I, I I do think Sung Choi had the finish at his grasp. He gave it up. He made a huge mistake. And Caceres showed that like he's got the craft to to even eliminate that... a contender like this. Really impressive, man.
1: It was Super, super impressive. It was a it was just such a it was such a great move and one that he said he had practiced and i and i believe that like I
0: believe he's not it. a
1: five fight, he's on a five fight winning streak he's a likable guy he's been around for a decade um right. he's skilled and like good let's get i yep. mean i think i, I think he kind of deserves a co-main event um against you know in the in the division i agree um i agree with you like like that.
0: a like a top eight top top six contender fight i think at this point like he's got the yeah. craft he's got the experience let's put him in there i will say though nick he was 14 and 12 his record was up until this 5 fight winning streak so like he was damn close to 500 man so really turned his career around 19 and 12 now coming off of a win over a 10 and 3 Sungwoo Choi who now drops to 10 and 4 um, outside of that Trinaldo uh you know basically dominated Dwight Grant we kind of expected that um Gregory Rodriguez Jung Young Park was such a fun fight nick Rodriguez basically used i think it was the right hand to the body to set up like, like a high jab followed by a, a takedown, right? He made you think that the body shot was coming. Got a takedown in that first round. Was able to control Park and win that first round. That second round, Park hurts him badly. And somehow Rodriguez comes in, lands a bomb, and ends up uh, finishing him standing. Uh, unbelievable performance. Unbelievable fight, man. Both guys look spectacular.
1: By the way, just going back, you know who I'd really... I, we've got a fight coming up that's interesting. I'm going to talk about Caceres for a more second. We've got Ryan mm-hmm. Hall against Derek Minner coming up.
0: I like to winner, see a uh, winner of that one.
1: I like to see Alex Casares fight the winner of that. I think Alex Casares, Ryan Hall would be a blast.
0: I agree. I'm into the matchup, although Caceres' last loss was to a jujitsu guy who had absolutely no other skill whatsoever. So, like on paper, like it would really be a test of whether he's really improved from a couple of years ago when he lost to which Gracie was it? It was Kron, Kron Gracie. Kron Gracie. Yeah. Who, 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 By the way, like went on to lose his next fight and then never competed again. And I assume we'll never see him again because Gracies, most Gracies, don't tend to compete after they lose. Um, and then we have, um, and then we, uh, so Jung-Yong Park Rodriguez. Any thoughts on that one?
1: It was it was super fun. I thought I thought Park was gonna, you know, I, th- <laughs> I was I was pull I was pulling for Park, but he's too, he's a, he's a tough guy. But holy shit, did he eat a lot of shots? He gave it. He gave a lot, and then yeah. he ate a lot. But that fight, combined with the one right before it, Mason Jones David Onama was some back-to-back fight of the night style action. Like they were. It was just both of those fights were nonstop. That was fight between the two of them about uh, four and a half rounds of just rock'em sock'em robots back and forth.
0: Yeah, Mason Jones was like a minus five hundred favorite. Uh, I told you guys that David Onama is absolutely worth an investment at these kind of crazy odds. The guy's really yeah, talented. T- he's and James James Krauss is gonna send a guy into war if you're not ready. Like he's
1: not gonna up, right. he's not gonna pick up he's not gonna pick up the right. phone on five days notice and, send, right. and send one of his guys uh, to fight this dude if he didn't think he could do it and he was uh, and certainly he capable
0: and for the record nick i think there's a, a very strong argument to be made in, in favor of mason jones i think i'm sorry in, in favor of onama i think onama took that third round because he landed more sure mason jones had some control time but onama did way more damage and mason jones was kind of surviving in that third round Body language-wise, damage-wise, I thought Onama took that fight. He was 18-0 and between his amateur and pro career leading into this matchup. So the dude had serious experience going up against a guy who couldn't quite get a win yet in the UFC. Still hasn't gotten a clear-cut win, mind you, Mason Jones, right? So in my opinion, like, super contentious fight. Could have gone either way, not by any means a robbery. Don't get me wrong, but well, I do think Onama let, Mason, landed more damage in that third round.
1: I mean, timeout. Mason Jones was beating the shit out of Alain Patrick before.
0: He He was. He, he was, but um, it's still, unfortunately, it's still not, you know, a, a yeah. victory, like any way you put it. You know what I mean? Correct. Um, but, but let me, yeah. let me quickly look at the UFC stats. I'm, I'm curious what the, what the, um, what the stats are on that but second round of this matchup. Onama, Onama's
1: going to need to work on his takedown defense.
0: Yes. And to be fair, he's been taken down plenty of times in his career. He's just really good at getting back up and he's particularly good at giving, giving his back and then turning it to his opponent after that, which uh, yeah, Joe Bonavita was was super big on.
1: Super explosive.
0: Yes. yes. Re- really, really against a talented guy. I'm going to look quickly. Onama landed three more strikes in the fight. And uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just curious about, excuse me. I'm just curious about this matchup in particular, Nick, because I do think Onama deserved that uh, third round. Let's see. In the third round, Onama landed 24 of 33 strikes. Uh, 73% of his significant strikes in that third round. Granted, Jones landed 20, but they were mostly on the ground, if I remember correctly. Um, in my opinion, Onama probably should have gotten that decision, but I, I get that it was super competitive and and uh, really could have gone either way. Uh, anything else that's worth discussing on this card, Nick, considering we gotta we got to dive into uh, UFC 267? I mean, I was
1: happy to listen. Jessie Jess came back strong from her knee surgery. I thought she would win this fight. I didn't think it would be so much lay and pray. Um, in a battle of the glass cannons, Jay J Herbert uh, probably ended the UFC run of Kama Worthy. Um, yeah,
0: unfortunately, I think,
1: I think that's you know I think that's about it. Nice to see Jonathan Martinez get a win. Um, you know we'll see if he can if he can put himself back in the mix like he like he felt after he defeated Thomas Almeida.
0: Yeah, and quick mention to Jeff Molina, who I think is so fucking talented. I really like this kid a lot. He looked so good against Daniel Da Silva. Finished him in that fucking second round after having a kind of a rough first round. Jeff Molina's no joke. He's also another guy from that, uh, I think, glory MMA and fitness team. Before we move on, I quickly want to talk about um, my bets, recommendations for this last week. So a lot of them hit. I recommended a bet on Marvin Vittori in a parlay. I recommended a straight bet on Francisco Trinaldo at minus 130. That was a fucking steal against against. Dwight Grant is terrible, in my opinion, recommended um, Rick Glenn plus 310 at dog value. And as you can see, it wasn't a bad recommendation, even though, you know, you would have gotten your money back uh, if you bet on that one. But like good fucking reason to put some money down on Rick Glenn. I recommended a prop bet on Niccolo Negumeriano. Uh, by knockout, plus 220, even though he is a big favorite. That one came through in the first round uh, against the not durable villain Weva. I recommended Jessica Rose Clark in a parlay, and presumably you would parlay her with somebody like Marvin Vittori. That one hit as well. Um, Onama, I recommended an underdog bet on him at plus 385. Not one that I'm I'm ashamed of recommending at all. Staropoli didn't come through for me. Uh, Zviad Ladeshvili didn't come through for me. Uh, Jeff Molina came through for me on a straight bet. So the majority of the bets that I recommended did come through, so I'm pretty happy with that. I've got a couple more recommendations for UFC 267, Nick. Let's take a break. Let's break this whole card down for him, Nikolai.
1: Let's do it.
0: welcome back to the podcast and we're gonna dive into the mma geeks draft in which nick and i take turns picking fighters competing on the upcoming card as we break down the fights for you guys tally up whoever gets more points at the end it's one point per fighter if you pick a successful underdog of plus 150 or above uh who wins you end up getting two points for that one so there's some value there especially for nick who's trying to catch up with me as of now we're 11 points ahead 108 of my points to 97 of yours, Nick. You got some catching up to do, but you do have the first pick. Go for it, buddy.
1: I'm gonna uh, do something you're probably not gonna expect. I'm gonna pick the UK fighter, Lerone Murphy, to defeat Mr. Finland, Makwan Amir Khani. The fact is, Murphy's a good boxer. He's got good takedown defense, got good striking. Amir Khani like, dominates the lesser opposition and runs out of gas and kind of quits against uh, against tougher fighters. He did not look very good his last time out—a fight he was supposed to win against a fighter who I do not think is as good as Leron Murphy. Uh, so hey,
0: I, I I picked that opponent just for the record. I did expect them. Well,
1: lose I'm, that okay, guy. so I'm a I'm a fight behind on falling off the Mister Finland train. Okay,
0: <laughs> Nick, I agree with you on the pick. It would have been my first pick. Looking j- just looking at these top uh, few now. Um, Laron Murphy is a serious, serious prospect. He's fast. He's got sharp hands. Um, he did like, he did have to survive a third round scare in his last fight. So maybe some questions about his conditioning, but his takedown defense is not great. Maquan Armikani has really good Gurkha Roman wrestling. So I can see Maquan actually possibly winning that first round by scoring a couple of takedowns. Leroy Murphy's really good at getting up though. And I think he's like going to be more conditioned. I think he's going to be faster standing. He's going to be sharper standing. He's going to be significantly more skilled there. So I agree with you. I think the like the key for this is whether Leroy Murphy can finish Amarikani. If he can finish him, he's going to get a fast track up to the top like six or seven, which isn't great for him. I almost preferred if he just pounds in an Amarikani who's barely surviving in the last couple of minutes and walks away with a decisive decision victory for the sake of his career. But I definitely agree with you on the pick, man. Uh, my first pick is going to be I, I think I've got to go with the Islam-Makachev-Dan Hooker matchup. If it's a three-round fight, Nick, I don't love Hooker's chances in it, right? Hooker is obviously super experienced. He's obviously really talented. Um, good takedown defense, but I don't think it's good enough to stay on the feet against Makachev. Even if Hooker's like, tough to take down early, eventually, as his muscles start to tire, as his will starts to crack, Makachev will dominate more and more, I think. It'll be one thing if Makachev couldn't strike at all, but he's really technical there as well. So I think, like, even there, he should be at least competitive. Although Hooker looked good against an up-and-comer in his last fight, he hasn't looked good against top-top-level competition in a while. So I think Mogachev will likely walk away with a dominant decision, if not a submission in the second half of the fight. To Hooker's credit, he has been training in Las Vegas and didn't have to travel in for this one. I assume he spent time at the UFC PI, which means his conditioning could be, like, on another level. Um, if this does become a five-round fight, which, like, there's been bickering and back and forth about that, both guys seem to be up for it. Um, if it is has changed to a five rounder, I give Hooker slightly more of a chance because he'll just have more of a chance to land that flying knee or something. Um, but I, I do think the odds are way too wide on this one. Uh, I do have Makachev though.
1: Yeah, I, I do too. Although, but I'm excited to see it. It's uh, listen. This is exactly um, the right fight I think to make with RDA falling off. And I actually think this is a more. I'm more excited about this fight than I am the RDA fight.
0: Agreed. Um, I think it has a chance, has a higher chance of an upset than the RDA fight. And there with you.
1: So there are oh, there are so many so many interesting fights that I want to pick now, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make some assumptions, and I'm gonna go with Hazmat Shmaev um, to beat up uh, Li Jingyang, um, and the the reason it really it really comes down to this: Neil Magny took, who's a good wrestler but took down, whenever he got into trouble in the fight, was able to take down Lee. Took him down at will, uh, ended up winning 30-27. And I think that as good of a grappler as I believe Neil Magny is and as durable as he is, um, I, we don't know too much about Shemaev's durability, but he's bigger. He's definitely bigger than Neil Magny. And I've got no reason to question his durability. And I, I just believe the guy's so athletic I can't see him not having Lee in a, um, you know, kind of like all wrapped up against the cage um, at kind of at his at his convenience. If he gets crazy and decides that he wants this to be a kickboxing match, we you know, we may see something a little different because um, his opponent's got some pop. But i in, in I don't think he takes this fight if COVID has really destroyed him. I think he should. I think this is a good, a good favorable matchup for him uh, from a grappling position, and that he has a he has a clear path, um, a clear path to a, ch- a choke out in the in the first three minutes of the fight.
0: I actually think he has just as clear a path toward a knockout in the first minute or two of the fight as well. He might. He might. He might. Yeah. And partially for the following reasons, Li Liang has been knocked down five times in his UFC career. That's not a great sign against Shemaev, who is extremely fast, right? That's going to be one big difference in this matchup. Li Liang, he's he's conditioned, he's tested, right? He's experienced. I can't say any of that about Shemaev, but given the speed, the power, the grappling, and the ground and pound that he's shown so far, it's tough not to pick him in this one. Um, also, like, the testimonials of fighters that have been in the training room with Shemaev would, like, make you believe that he's the greatest fighter of all time, like, Really good fighters are like, yeah, he just ragdolled me. Like, he just did whatever he wanted to me. Which is crazy that guys are even willing to say that even if it did happen. Shows you, like, the kind of fucking ragdolling he does to um, uh, to some high-level guys. I think Shamayev has a good shot at cracking Lee early and moving on without getting the chance to show his grit. But I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope Li Jingliang can take him to deep waters and truly test him. Another variable to consider is that Shumayev has been out for over a year and after getting a bad case of COVID, actually declared his retirement over Twitter. Apparently, he was like spitting up blood and super exhausted within minutes of training uh, weeks after most of the symptoms were gone. So if he's not fully recovered, Li has a shot here, but I'm picking the prospect over the gatekeeper in this one. I'm in agreement with you, buddy. My next pick is going to be Yeah, I think I'm gonna go with the main event, the matchup between Jan Blahovic and Glover Teixeira. Obviously, these guys are both like mainstays uh, at light heavyweight. Both guys were looked at as journeymen at some point, right, in their careers, with Teixeira going on a losing streak. Jan Blachowicz, honestly, not reaching any real success or being able to pick up a streak in the UFC for the first couple of years of his UFC career. Heck, he started his UFC career at two and four. And has gone, um, I think, either eight and one or nine and one since then. Next, so like really, really impressive run uh, for the champ. Um, Teixeira, who like he's improved it on his hands, right? He's improved on his technique. It sounds like he he got this really good trainer, a uh, really good boxing trainer, to to kind of focus on his boxing with him, and that's that's brought him into some fruition. Considering the guy can get tagged and knocked down time after time and keep getting up and keep like overwhelming and finishing opponents. Um the thing is that a lot of the share opponents that he's been able to go through on this run have serious holes in their games. And Jan yeah, Blahovic, you can say that he had serious holes in his game maybe 3 or 4 years ago. Can't really say that about this version. I'm a big believer in Yan. I believe that he is truly the best light heavyweight in the world. I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, believe he would beat John Jones if they fought today. Maybe he'd get screwed in the decision, but I believe that like most people would believe that he is the better fighter after that fight. Um, so I like Yan Blachowicz here. I think he's got too much power standing up. Right, He's really good. Um, blitzing is really good with his pressure game. And on top of the fact that he's really dangerous with his pressure, he's also really, really good at countering. So no matter what you do against them standing, it's extremely risky and extremely dangerous unless you've got Israel at Sanya level of technique. And that was extremely close standing. It could have easily gone either way, right? Even though Israel's is quicker and 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 maybe a little bit smaller and had a reach advantage, Blahovich was right there with him neck and neck. It was extremely close, and Blahovich was able to get those takedowns. That's an area that Blahovich has really worked on his game over the years and improved on. I'm not sure that Glover Teixeira is like drive you up against the cage, hold on to your legs for a couple of minutes before finishing a double leg. is going to work against Blahovic. And if it is, Blahovic will make his way back up to the feet. He's not going to be a victim at the bottom of Teixeira's mount. So I like Blahovic uh, to find the big shot, probably in the second half of the fight because of how durable Glover Teixeira is. I like Blahovic to win by uh, by a knockout. But I really hope that Glover Teixeira is able to bring in a good accounting of himself. And I said this leading up to Blahovic's title shot against Dominic Reyes if Glover Teixeira is able to pull this off, this would be gigantic for his career. This would literally turn his career from being like an almost and like a pretty competitive, fun guy to watch to like an actual champion. Kind of the difference that Michael Bisping went through when he was able to beat Luke Rockhold, right? Legacy-wise, this means everything. So if Teixeira can pull this off, it would be gigantic. But I think Jan Blachowicz is holding on to this title for a little while, man.
1: Yeah, this is a this is listen. as far as I can tell. I don't know a lot about these guys personally, but it seems like it's two guys, it's easy to root for. You know. Um yes. they're both classy in victory, classy in defeat. Just real gamers, just dur- just durable, tough guys. Um I just Glover's got a, Glover's got a lot more miles on him and we've seen him Yes, we've seen Ion uh beat, but we've seen Glover in some wars, like, I mean, the Alexander Gustafson fight, the, the damage he took in the John Jones fight, like, um, you know, getting, getting flash KO'd and, and getting knocked back awake against Carl, Ro- Was it against Carl Roberson? I think so. Um, yes. yes. Like, you know, Glover, it, this Glover Renaissance has been very enjoyable. And it'd be, it would be, it would be a great story. I wish, I wish, you know, I'd much rather see him beat somebody like John Jones than Jan Blachowicz. But Blachowicz is just, he's so powerful and, and he fights very intelligently. Incredible poise and composure. Terrific control of distance. Also, he's a better fighter at kicking range than Glover Teixeira is. Like Jan doesn't have to stand, you know, in a phone booth with Glover in this fight in order to win he can keep he can keep some distance, and I think he should be able to kick and not get taken down. Uh, well, you know we'll see. But as you said, if he does, I think he can get right back up. Um, he's not going to get out muscled uh, by Glover. It would have been interesting to see these guys fight in Glover's athletic prime, which may have been cut, co- which may have come even before he was in the UFC. I've never fully understood those visa issues that made it difficult for him to get into the country, but. Uh, you know,
0: especially since he was like training at the pit in California with with Chuck Liddell, it's like so weird.
1: And he still and he still does. He still is with John Hackelman, right?
0: Um, I think like I think John Hackelman is like on Facetime with him sometimes. But he he, I think he's in Michigan now or something like that. He's got his own camp out there. And by the way, uh, one of his main training partners happens to be the guy that uh, has two wins over Israel Adesanya, um, Alex the Silva maybe um it yeah. was like an elite kickboxer who's going to be making his UFC debut so when it comes to the stand-up portion um he's got a great training partner for to be ready like if the fight does get Harry on the feet so right I, f- I feel like he's as ready as he can be at this age but man he's still what 42 years old man yeah like by, that, it would be insane to expect him to win this fight
1: by the way I still have no idea why Glover Glover Dressera lives very close to where I grew up um in Danbury, Connecticut, and fighting out of Bethel, which is like that's where he is. That's Beth- right. Bethel is this very, it's a very, it's a very sleepy, like woodsy suburb um, in Connecticut. Not not very close to New York.
0: Well, yeah. If you make a couple hundred grand a year, a few hundred grand a year, if you're a Glover, right? How far can your money go in a town like that? Between your I mean, school, where you're probably paying like three grand in rent for your school a month, right? That's probably make, bringing in a lot more money than that. Between your home, which probably costs like Three hundred grand instead of seven or eight hundred grand if you live closer to New York.
1: No, uh, it's still it's still pretty it's still pretty expensive. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's not cheap. It's just it's just a small town. It's just a weird town for a guy that's this you know that's this good to be based out of. Um, But
0: I wonder what settled him there.
1: Yeah, I guess he has a gym there now too. Anyway, Mm -hmm. but great guy. It would listen. I don't want to see Yann lose, but I would. But it would be cool to see Glover win. And I think they would probably do it again. But regardless, I think that I, 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 yeah, it's hard. I just have a hard time imagining the path to victory for Glover because Jan's not Jan's not going to give up anything easy. He's not going to end up in in a position like uh, like Tiago Santos did, you know, against Glover um, or some of the other guys that that he's beat, like. He,
0: he, no, but speaking of Thiago Santos, what I could see happening is Glover has that serious right cross left hook, could catch him right. It's possible he it was can left hook that, that downed Yan down Yan against. But he uh, just Santos.
1: yes, it was. But yeah, and Yan was moving forward into that, which he doesn't do anymore. I don't think. But I also we also haven't seen Glover sleep anybody like that in a long time. True. So yeah, the the, um, the old
0: man's strength can only take you so far. Right?
1: Yeah, he's, he's powerful. The question is, is he is he is he one punch KO powerful? Because if he doesn't if he doesn't knock Yan out, it's it's you know it's it's going to be tough um, to keep him down. Anyway, so yeah, I agree, I agree with your pick. So
0: it's it's really tough to root against that other guy. But real quick, Nick, mm-hmm. these two guys who are deservedly fighting for the championship of the world at light heavyweight have a combined fifteen losses. That doesn't happen super often outside of, like, a Robbie Lawler title reign, man. That's, uh, that is remarkable, man, and, and really super, super likable guys. Uh, what is your next pick, my friend?
1: Oh, boy. What is this channel? I'm going to go with Demer, uh Izmagalov to defeat Magomed Mustafaev. Um, I think, I, I listen, Mustafaev's good. He, I mean, he's a guy who's f- already fought both Fiziev and Riddle, which is crazy, um, and beat one of them yep but is Isma, ismagalov lands more and he absorbs less and he's never been taken down in the u f c and i just i think um I, I th- I just think he's the more i think he's the more well rounded uh fighter and i see this as a thirty twenty seven victory uh for him
0: yeah i'm not as confident that it'll be thirty twenty seven Ismogulov, like, I think the biggest knock on him is that he's not a finisher, but he's extremely technical and patient, super mature fighter. He's also racked up plenty of experience against dangerous opponents who have more firepower than he does, and that's exactly Magomed Mustafayev right? Mustafaev is still the only man to beat Rafael Faziev, as you mentioned, and he did it by spectacular knockout with a spinning heel kick in like the first few seconds of the first round. Faziev is known as an excellent kickboxer um, who hits extremely hard and is very durable, so it's impressive. Entirely possible. Demir has been hurt a few times in the UFC, right? So that's why this wasn't quite as high on my list as as, as to be the third pick. I think the odds are probably a little bit too wide. Um, I think Mustafive looks good early. He has a shot an early finish since Demir can be tagged. But I think Demir's consistent jab, conditioning, and experience will win out. as He starts to kind of run away with the fight after the first round with Mustafive running out of gas. Um, I, I tend to think for Mustafive it's first round or bust. Um, I do think there is some value in parlaying Damir right putting Damir in a parlay in a two-fighter parlay I don't really believe in three-fighter parlays and just to be safe because Mustafive can get a knockout as possible put some money down on Mustafive by knockout you're gonna get great odds and that's the only way he can win so you can kind of have a win-win situation there if Damir wins in any way or fashion you should have uh, boosted up your parlay and if if uh, Mustafayev is able to get a knockout, you are covered. So, so that's something to seriously consider. I'm going to be making more bet recommendations uh, as we as we go along here, Nikolai. My third pick is going to be in the Magomed Ankalaev matchup against Vulcan Ozdeber.
1: Oh, this was one of my underdog picks I wanted to make, but go for it.
0: Ah, uh, in- interesting. Um, Vulcan has actually been looking better than ever leading up to his matchup against Yuri Proshyashka. Pro- uh, he was competitive early before Yuri set up a head kick and finished Vulcan, right? The problem in this matchup is that Vulcan is slow and Magomed is very fast. This will be Magomed's stiffest test yet, but I think he'll pass it and move on to bigger and better. If Magomed can get a finish, that will fast track him into contention. If not, and I don't necessarily think he will, um, I think he can keep working his way up the division. That's probably better for him not to get a finish for that reason, uh, much like I said in in one of my earlier picks. But he needs to stay on his P's and Q's because Ozdemir is a serious opponent, has the craft, he has the the power, he has the experience to win this fight. I just don't necessarily think he will.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you, but I have enough, I was willing to gamble on Ozdemir, uh, who I like an awful lot, but he doesn't, um, he gets hit, he's more hittable, uh, than, than, uh, Akhlaev is. Um, but Akhlaev didn't look Probably very is, good yeah. in his, la- in his last fight, which, um, gave me a little bit of pause.
0: Didn't he, I guess, well, Nikita krilov is a really fucking good fighter, but you're right, honestly, I didn't watch that fight leading into this. I'm curious to watch that fight and, and, and see what the dynamics are. I do think there's a big difference between Krilov when it comes to athleticism, when it comes to well-roundedness. Krilov has got a lot of that stuff that ozan kind of doesn't. He's not as athletic. He hits hard. He's strong, but he's not as athletic as Krilov. He doesn't have the dynamic wrestling that Krilov has. So I, I do think there are, some, uh, there are some differences in that dynamic, but, but that, that's a fair point. The fact that he looked human in that Krilov fight uh, is a point against him. Where the heck has Krilov been, man? He's one of my light heavyweight prospects. Like, is, is he scheduled? Speaking of, let me see. No, nothing on the books. I hope everything's okay with that guy, um, Nikolai. What is your fourth pick?
1: I'm gonna go with off the main card. I think uh, I think Alexander Volkov should be able to uh, beat and maybe finish Marcin Tabora. Uh, I like Marcin Tabora. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed uh, his recent five fight win streak. It's been pretty cool, but it's not been against competition anywhere near. Uh, as elite. I mean there's say you could say some nice things about Ben Rothwell, but twenty twenty Ben Ben Rothwell is not prime Ben Rothwell. And nope. and he's been fighting a lot of in just inexperienced guys who gas. Um, and or or young guys. And when he when he has been in there over the last couple of years with um quality kickboxers, even even like, you know, like kickbox people like Fer- Free Silver Doom whose kickboxing is their uh, you know kind of their night job. Um, he hasn't <laughs> he hasn't looked so great. Just as he didn't look so great against Augusto Augusto Sakai. Alexander Volkov on the other hand has looked really good even against powerful wrestlers. Um, he really he he took Curtis Blades to the limit. Marcin Tabura is not going to be shooting like Curtis Blades. He's going to be trying to get Volkov up against the cage and taking him down there. Volkov's got great balance. Enough of this fight is going to be spent out in the open where Volkov is going to piece apart. He's got that long, long jab. Hopefully he kicks a lot. I'm not sure if he will because of the takedown. But frankly, this should be a striker's delight all over Tabura's face.
0: Yeah, I don't think it'll be as... Dominant? I I I've gotten to a point where I'm not doubting Tabura anymore, right? He's on a five fight winning streak. I think he, I
1: think he's really I think he's really good. I just think I mean Volkov is and is one of the the best kickboxers in the heavyweight division. Second definitely. Maybe and, and maybe and second made,
0: only to Gone. I don't know if I'd go there, but, but it might be. Uh skill-wise he might just be. Um it's tricky because he, he has put a like made huge improvements over the last couple of years by gaining weight and uh like developing more power more snap in his punches to on a five fight winning streak after going one and four in the five fights prior to that, so like a huge resurgence, not unlike the two guys in the main event he's been able to expose the holes and conditioning issues against guys like Rothwell, Hardy, and Walt Harris. This version of Volkov does not have that level of glaring hole. So in that way, I do agree with you. This version of Volkov, I think the best version of him yet, is conditioned. He fights at a super high pace, and he hits like a truck right like he he's gained weight he's heavier his conditioning hasn't waned and because he's heavier because he's got more snap in his punches he's hurting guys more man those advantages and his size i think will give him a competitive decision win in this one but i will be rooting for tabura if he wins this one he's ready for a title eliminator whereas volkov still has some work to do if he wins this matchup especially if gone is able to get past Nganu.
1: yeah yeah i think uh i think that's i think that's fair
0: and and you know what? Gon could very well be by far the best heavyweight on the planet. Could be by far neck and shoulders above everyone. So maybe Volkov is. There's a chance he's number two in the world. There's still a chance of that. Uh, and and we're we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see evidence to uh, to clear that up for us in this matchup, man. My next pick, my fourth pick, is going to be in the Elizio Zaleski dos Santos oh. Benoit Saint Denis My matchup.
1: other my other underdog pick. God damn it
0: really i'm i'm curious i'm curious to see what you think of of Denis. maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm underestimating him but i've 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 got a i've got a stern belief in zaleski the thing about like denise is that and i don't know if i'm saying his name right I Denis hope I benoit
1: got, Saint-Denis.
0: Saint-Denis. um got good wrestling and good submissions really good top game but this is kind of a rough debut for him in the big leagues right like Dos Santos is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, so it's not, it's not like Denis can, like, take him down and just completely dominate, and if he does, then maybe he's, like, almost makhachev and could be black on the ground. Um, and Zaleski has the footwork to make takedowns extremely difficult. He also trains at America Top Team, one of the best camps on earth, and he will have a huge advantage on the feet. So I think after like a good moment or two from Denise, Zaleski should be able to take over. But don't sleep on Denis. He's, he has finished several opponents who have, who have around 20 fights out on their records, even though he has like a handful of fights. So the talent is there. I just don't think this is a kind of a reasonable opponent to make his debut against... Uh, expecting to expect success from.
1: Yeah, I I can see that. It's a tough draw, but Zaleski's very inconsistent. And if I recall, he was almost submitted in the first round against Luigi ben, uh, Benjamini. Like, he's one of those guys who's... He was inc-
0: taken down and give up his back, yeah. He's, in- he's incredibly,
1: he's yeah. he's incredibly explosive, and he's very, very creative, but I wouldn't say he's got the best fight IQ in the world. And when I wa- when I watched I tape that. on Benoit Saint-Denis... Like he's a southpaw. He's got pretty good. He's got pretty good striking. His big problem is he's one of those guys that doesn't throw jabs. Like everything's a power shot uh, or a kick. But he uses that stuff to push up. He against- also
0: seems hittable from the little bit of tape I was able to watch. I don't know if you felt. I the didn't. Same s- way. I
1: I thought he seemed no? hittable, but I wasn't watching him against guys who hit him. <laughs> but I so so. But Fair I enough. I did. It did occur to me. I'm like, oh geez. But I you know I could see him. Uh, I mean, possibly, but I could also see him pre- like pressuring, and he's he maybe being creative enough himself, or waiting and timing some spinning move. And once he gets, once he gets, uh, gets you in a compromising position on the ground, um, he can snatch a neck, he can snatch a knee, he can he can grab a knee, um, and he gets he gets those finishes. Like, what's it going to look like at, 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 uh, at against UFC caliber opponents? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. He did very well in Brave um he's he, he's he's a tough dude. This is a tough draw, but it's a guy it's a guy who um has made errors and and is is kind of beatable. He's one of those guys who everything's a big move. I feel like with with Zaleski, uh every you know, everything's a big move and he's super athletic and explosive, but like if you've got someone who just is putting on constant pressure and keeps their technique tight and is defensively aware and maintains distance when they have to that I think he's I think he's beatable as has been seen against you know Lee knocking him out and uh Salikov in a, in a close fight that wasn't that good and other fighters having him in uh, in compromising positions so um we'll see but yeah, I didn't end up getting the. Underdog and, and you pick. expect
0: an eight 0 Benoit Saint Denis to have the maturity to pull that off? Is what you're saying, right?
1: I'm not saying I expect it. I'm saying it wouldn't surprise me. And and for the two points, for the two points, I was willing. I was willing to take that risk. I thought I could see it happening.
0: Okay, uh, that, that is that is not unreasonable at all. I, I do hear where you're coming from. Um, I, I mean, I just feel like it's a lot to ask for. And I will say the Muslim Slickoff fight, I thought. Zaleski kind of got job there. Like I don't know if it was a robbery per se. Yeah, but you've been you've you yeah
1: you've been riding Zaleski's balls for a few years though. So let's just get that out in the open. Um,
0: next, the, you know what he next takes pick. good care of them, Nick. He is next, groomed. Next, I, pick. Uh, you know I I I just can't help it. I can't help it, Nikolai. My next pick is it my next pick or your next pick? I think it's your. Oh, next it's pick my
1: next, pick. yeah it's my pick. Uh, oh, no one's picked this one yet. I'm gonna pick uh, Amanda Hebos over. Uh, Vera Xanderoba, uh, uh, the crazy-eyed killer. Um, listen, like she's good. <laughs> she is good. Like I like uh, I like Xanderoba a lot, but she's got 53% takedown accuracy in the UFC against a fighter with 85% takedown defense. I would say that maybe she's a little she's a little bit better an offensive wrestler than Mackenzie Dern, but Mackenzie Dern wasn't able to get Amanda Hivas down at all and you know Hibas despite you know getting knocked out by that by a, a terrific fighter in uh what's her name Marina Rodriguez? Yep. In Marina Rodriguez, Hibas is a really is she is a really good striker and Genderoba isn't isn't a very good one. So I ex, I expect her to be able to, to land a lot. I think there'll be some posi- some awkward positions against the cage that she has to get out of. Um, but I just I see Genderoba having a tough time getting her down. And just not um, not being as technical and not being able to put uh, combinations together could be interesting. Could be twenty nine, twenty eight. She's got some unorthodox strikes, um, and she and and certainly a killer instinct. But I think I think that Hebos is uh, like I just think that Heba's strength on the feet and her her ability to stay on them um, makes this a fight a winnable fight for her.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think this is actually a great betting opportunity given these odds of minus 155. He is a steal, I think. Jandaroba is like a serious top position grappler with high-level submissions, but she's not a great wrestler, like you said. He is also a Brazilian back, black belt, so even if she ends up on her back, I think she'll work her way back up where she will have a big advantage on the feet. He boss's big weakness, like you said, has been against hard hitters like Marina Rodriguez and Ariane Lipsky, right? She doesn't have the best chin, against a serious striker. Vierna does not have that level of power or speed on the feet. MMA Math also favors Hebos, who clearly beat Mackenzie Dern, and Dern clearly beat Jean Di Robo. So I, I definitely agree with you there. I, I, think this is a, I think this is a good pick to make at this point in our draft competition.
1: Uh, by, by the way, it was Pollyanna Viana who beat her six years ago in jungle fights, not Arianna Lipsky.
0: Sorry, dude. I got that name wrong. You're absolutely right. Thank you for that correction, Nikolai. I mean,
1: I wasn't, tr- I wasn't, trying, to, I wasn't trying to call you out. I was just like, I don't remember. Arie. I wasn't like, I don't remember Arita Lipsky beating, <laughs> beating a any of us. No problem. You are forgiven.
0: No, I, 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 I definitely appreciate it. I, I could have sworn. You're right. It was, it's the Pollyanna Vienna. Is she the queen of violence?
1: Yep. No, no. Lipsky no. hey, Lipsky's the queen of oh, violence. No.
0: That's so funny. I always mix these two up, Nick. That explains everything. I always mix these two girls up. This is the other Pollyanna Vienna to me. So,
1: Vienna has been a much better fighter in the UFC than, uh, than Lipski has.
0: Well, Vienna went 0-3 against people like Hannah Cyphers, Nick. I mean, oh, did, Veronica wait, did, Macedo. Did she? Yeah. Oh, like, well, I'm, I'm sorry. Right. I shouldn't say 0-3. No, you're she right. She had a three-fight losing streak. No, you're totally right. I'm and confusing then she, her, she came back with a couple wins.
1: I'm confusing her with somebody else. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, she is
0: uh, she is three and three. It's funny how how th- there are two versions of multiple fighters. Yeah. This is one of the pairs that I didn't even realize. I thought they were the same person Nick, until just now. Thanks for that correction. So um, I am going to take Albert Duraev to beat Robin Kopilov. Albert Duraev trains at Extreme Couture with guys like Sean Strickland, has plenty of conditioning and heart, serious, serious wrestling and grappling. Kopilov is a solid southpaw, but he got submitted by Carl Robertson in his UFC debut who is not at all a grappler. He's capable there, right? But like getting submitted by him is not a good sign. To be fair, Koppelov I think took that fight on like two days notice or something. So I don't, I can't really blame him too bad. I think the odds here are way too wide. But I'll be rooting for Koppelov, but I'm picking Durayev here. What I just think is just this bruising grappler. The fact that he's a local Vegas guy is in his favor. I assume Koppelov is going... Oh, actually, I'm sorry. He is flying from Vegas to Abu Dhabi. Uh, which saves him a flight because I don't know if you know Nick from all over like the world or country. Everybody meets in Vegas and then they fly to Abu Dhabi from there. Um, so I, I still think that gives him a bit of an edge over Roman Kopilov, But I, I've got Albert Duryev, uh in this matchup.
1: Nighttime. I I did also. Um, good fighter should probably be at 170, not 185. But um, I still I think I think this is This could be yeah yeah. This could be a sleeper a sleeper yeah. fight though. I'm I'm excited for it. Um, yeah. Oh God, there's. Now shit. Now shit gets weird and hard. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the co-main, which is not easy to pick. But um, I'm gonna go with the man I will still refer to as the champion, Patreon, Yan, um, over
0: over how Corey Sandhagen. How dare Sanhagen. you? Nick. How dare you?
1: I I like Sandhagen a lot, and I think that as an underdog pick, um, I think plus two twenty five. No, I'm saying. Is, I'm saying.
0: How dare you call him champion?
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, here here's the thing. Yeah, like. Sanhagen has that effect where he, he almost fights sometimes like Brian Ortega where he fight he fights for the finish uh, versus fighting fighting to win rounds and Jan and he, what Jan does is works towards the finish while winning rounds and I just I think that I yeah I just think over over I I think that Jan is is is, a, is defensively very sound he doesn't take a lot of crazy risks he's very patient like anything can happen but we haven't seen him. You know, hurt really bad. I get the sense that he's pretty darn durable, and he was certainly having his way with Aljamain Sterling, uh, kind of however he wanted. I just
0: after a rough a rough couple of rounds. To be I fair, d-
1: I don't really think so. I thought maybe the rough cup, a rough like a pretty even first two minutes or something. But I I remember thinking that I,
0: I actually I, I rewatched at least the first round, Nick. Like like he was getting it taken to him in the first round. He did not knock down Sterling for like a millisecond. So maybe he still won that round. But he was getting it taken to him in that first round, man. He really was the pressure. Granted, if you're gonna expend all your energy, you can probably beat anybody for that one round, right? The question is, what happens if you're run out of steam? And we kind of saw a little. Jan, bit. Of
1: that. Jan doesn't go away, and he's been in there with the best of them, the John Dodsons, Jimmy Rivera. Like Jose Aldo, Sterling, like he's this is going this is a really really exciting fight, um, and Sanhagen certainly has a chance. I just think coming you know coming off of what I thought was a winnable fight against T.J. Dillashaw, um, It may you know it may be a fight that he may be a, a fight that he won, but he just he ends up fighting from underneath, fighting from positions that are not um, that he can't score from. And he often ends up in them while while taking risks to finish the fight. So I I just I think that strategically, uh, Pedrián is a is a much sounder fighter and is kind of it is built for a five round championship fight. And we just, I just we just haven't seen Corey Sanhagen game like turn that corner. If he had, if he had won the Dillashaw fight, um, you know maybe I'd feel a little bit differently. I just feel like Jan coming off of that you know. Also, something to prove coming off of that ridiculous DQ loss. Like, I think I think that Corey Sanhagen is getting in the cage with a with a with the most dangerous pissed off Peter Yan as we've ever seen.
0: Yeah, there's a fair chance that Yan will be pissed off. So, both of these guys have exactly 17 fights on their record. Yan could arguably be 17 and 0 uh with that Sterling loss and, and a loss earlier in his career that Arguably, could have easily gone his way. He did a lot more damage. While Sanhagen has at least one clear-cut loss to Aljamain Sterling. Sanhagen has three losses. Yan uh, has arguably none. Maybe, maybe two if you really have to go technical. Sanhagen is four inches taller and will have a reach advantage of three inches. But Yan will be physically stronger. Sanhagen will be the faster striker. But Yan will have more power in his hands. But Sanhagen has more weapons that are dangerous between his kicks, his knees, his his hands, his his spin attacks. Yann has scored nine knockdowns in his eight UFC fights. Sanhagen scored four in his nine UFC fights. Sanhagen recovers quickly when hurt. Yan has kind of a stone chin, and the one time we saw him drop against um, John San Sanhagen is seen as a young up-and-comer, Yan is actually younger and has already reached the top of the MMA world and should still be there right now. They both land about six strikes per minute. Yan's striking defense is slightly better than Sanhagen's, but I would argue that Sanhagen probably fought the better overall competition uh, throughout his UFC career than has Yan overall. Uh, Both are slow starters and both seem to get stronger as the fight progresses, but Yan gets consistently stronger and faster. Sanhagen can be kind of on and off as we saw against Dillashaw. Uh, both fighters are much better when pressing forward than when being pressed. They can both counter, but that's not their most kind of comfortable state. I'd say Sanhagen had slightly better counters than does Yan with that flying knee, with that right hand. So the fighter that can push the other guy back will be winning at any particular moment, right? I'd be surprised if they didn't trade moments of success, uh, of kind of pressure success throughout the fight. I think Sanhagen's counter right hand and flying knees will be significant factors in this matchup, especially as Yan walks right forward. Sanhagen has this hair-trigger uh, pull when it comes to the, the flying knee man, and he's spectacular at it. He landed a couple against Dillashaw, obviously knocked out Frankie Edgar terribly with that flying knee, but between Yan's boxing advantage and the way Dillashaw was able to land when pushing forward on Corey, I think Yan should have the edge standing over the course of five rounds. I thought Dillashaw deserved the decision over Sanhagen. Dillashaw has less power, and he's not as durable as Yan, plus Dillashaw was coming off of a like two-and-a-half-year layoff. Even though Sanhagen is a great... Scrambler. I think Yan's strength and wrestling advantage will give him the edge since takedowns are an option for Yan and not for Sanhagen. Plus, Yan's strength should go uh, like up round by round. He's only going to get stronger. So I'm not sure that Sanhagen will win the first round um since they both kind of are slow starters, which is the best chance to kind of gain some traction. Off of Yan, and I don't know if Sanhagen could do that because he usually starts off slowly in the first as well. I think Yan's power, his pressure, his durability, his relentlessness, his his conditioning. I think all of that will probably win out. He has shown that he can go at an extreme pace for 25 minutes, and Sanhagen San Hagen only had a month to prepare for this five-round main event. Granted. He, it helps that he trains at elevation, and, and uh, he's got you know just a couple of five rounds of experience behind him. His flying knee is a real concern in this matchup, but I'm going with the best bantamweight in the world to keep that distinction in a barn burner of a fight. I am super, super psyched and excited about this matchup, Nick. Like, this, is, this is definitely the fight that I'm most looking forward to, and, and I can't wait for it, man. I'd say it's a better matchup on paper than the one with Sterling, although Sterling with a second crack at Yen could be interesting. Nick, you know what's fascinating about this matchup is that we could end up with a situation in which Sterling doesn't have to fight Peter, doesn't have to actually beat Peter Yan to keep the belt. He might just fight Corey San Corey Sanhagen again, and we know he has a ground game in the wrestling to actually potentially beat him. So, well, he already has, man, so yeah, right, exactly. It's it's super tricky fight for Yan. Um, where if he doesn't get past this, his legacy will get tarnished and, and go down the wayside, really, for a little while. Uh, so he, he can kind of re- regain. No, his I
1: mean, uh, there's still money in it. He would then get. A, he would have to take another fight. He'd have to win that fight, and then they would get him in with Sterling. And that would be, and that would sell a lot of tickets.
0: Well, yeah, if Sterling can beat Sanhagen again, which I think will be the easy matchup, if Corey does get this win, even though Corey will be like probably two and two in his last four leading into this one. Um, so, I, I, I was this my pick, or your, this was your pick, correct, Nick? Yep,
1: yep. So, yep, we have three, your... there's three fight slots left, none of them of which include fighters whose names I can pronounce.
0: Uh, No, you're not kidding. I'm going to go ahead, and this is risky, because Hu Yao Zong has, like, he hasn't fought in a couple of years, and I, I think his biggest weakness that we saw in the last matchup that he did fight in was his rest, wrestling defense, right? Didn't look very fucking good. He got taken down multiple times against really like a low level heavyweight now, or maybe light heavyweight now coming down to 185 after a two year layoff. Who knows how much improvement he's made? Who knows how much better he's gotten, right? But we have seen Andre Petrovsky recently. Um, and Petrovsky's good enough to take down the version of who that competed two years ago. So I'm picking him for that reason. Yeah. Who will have a big edge on the feet? So if who can keep the standing, he will win this fight. Petrovsky is not really formidable standing. Um, and like Petrowski has solid submissions and ground and pound from top possession. So if he does get that top spot, it's, it's going to look good for him. I think he's going to end up making a two and oh, in the octagon after losing in the semifinals of the last season of tough. Although for the record, Petrowski did take this on shorter notice. So maybe his gas tank won't let him win. We'll see.
1: Yeah. I mean, he fought, he did fight pretty recently because I believe he was on that card. Wasn't he on the, wasn't he on the tough, wasn't he on the tough card? Yes, yeah. um, he was. So, all right, I'm going to go... This, there's, this is another uh, sleeper for fight of the night. You've got uh, Tegero Ulan uh, Bekov taking on the Brazilian Alan Nascimento. Um, Nascimento, who is a guy who went to a uh, split decision with Julian Pavia, the guy that's, ne- that's uh, next in line to fight Sugar or Shane O'Malley, Um and is a Sean O'Malley. I'm sorry, Sugar Sean. Sugar Sean O'Malley. Um, you know, shootboxing fighter, uh, shootbox fighter. Very, very tough guy at 125. Um, and he's and he's taking on a dude who you know was able to take out Bruno Silva, which is which is no joke. Bruno Silva himself has been uh, has been sleeping dudes uh, lately in his last two fights. But I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go with the Dagestani as I always do. Uh, Tagir Ulanbekov um, in in a fight that I could that I think could be end up being uh, like a like a fight of the night contender.
0: Tagir Ulanbekov is your pick. Uh, yeah, I actually, like I think we have two more after this one.
1: Oh, I've got uh, Gamz, Gamzatov uh, Oleg, and that's that's all I've got left. What To
0: what versus Hamos. Is that still on the card?
1: Oh shit, that is still on the card. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, so here's the thing about this Tagir matchup. I actually think like, you're right. Alan is pretty legit. Like the odds are way too wide. Tagir is like minus 280 favorite or something crazy like that. I think it's just because of the name, just because of where he's fighting. Um, Alana's is like a legit opponent, really skilled standing up, really skilled on the floor, but his wrestling isn't awesome. Even though he's a good scrambler, once he does get to the floor, to gear, I think like his Dagestani wrestling chops. I think that'll be enough to be able to hold enough moments of top position to win a decision here. But again, the odds are way too high on this one. I, I think um, you can, you can. I mean, I, I wouldn't mess betting with this fight at these odds. But I do have to gear as well, Nick. So I'm in agreement with you there. We've got one more pick to make, and then we can break down the fight that's left over. I think I'm gonna go ahead and take Zubaira to Hugoff to beat Ricardo Ramos. I think that Hamos is really skilled on the ground. He's got a really good jab, but he's been making some bad decisions in some fights. He's been getting caught. His chin hasn't been holding up too well. And Zubaira Tokugov, at least for about a round and a half, is pretty explosive, good wrestling, uh, hits pretty hard, even though he can get sloppy at times. I realize this could go either way, but I'm going to edge towards Zubaira Tokugov to uh, to pick up a win over Ricardo Ramos here.
1: Yeah, I had the same. Um
0: um, and then we have one more fight, Nick. That neither of us wanted to pick. No. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Michal Olejniczuk versus Shamil Gadz, uh, Gamzatov matchup?
1: Oh, is another Jacob. The old is the guy that beat uh, Busak, to Help me out. We've been talking about so many fighters. Uh, I'm out of. I'm out of fight. Yeah, he beat he beat uh, Modestus Bucas. Bukov, uh, yes, um, yes, yes.
0: It was a super close decision, but he did. Yes.
1: And he's also the guy that had uh, had, had had that silly fight with John Volante. Um oof. Again, I guess he smoked Gian Valentin, didn't he did he? Didn't he did kind of smoke wrong? I, I I can't remember. I know he won. I thought it, I thought all all Gian Valenti fights are silly. Let's just agree on that. Yeah. Um that's fair. Oof. Meanwhile, you've got Shamil uh Gamestav, who's not been very active. it's been two years since he's fought in the UFC. I barely, I don't really remember that fight, nor did I nor did I look it up. And uh so I'm gonna go yeah, the split decision went over Clinton Abreu. Um i I'm gonna go with the the uh what are the odds at? It's
0: a good question. Yeah, the odds so are it's my. It's, pretty close.
1: it's it's it's, uh, it's not as close as you think. It's like uh minus one seventy, minus one fifty in favor of um Gamzatov. Um interesting. So and that's for yeah, guy a favorite guy who hasn't fought in in uh you know, in two years. Um he did up he did have a KO, a very fast KO win against Antigulov uh, prior to that. And it was in the first round so before Antigulov could gas. Um, fuck. I don't I I don't stand I don't want to pick this fight. Um, I guess I'm just going to I'm going to assume here that the odds makers are smarter than I am and no, or no more than I do and go against the recency bias and I'll pick Shamil uh Gamzatov, just out of straight fear. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's tricky because Shamil got a close decision winner's UFC debut against Klitson Abreu after having success in PFL. And like, Gabriel's a pretty good fighter. I didn't think that Gumzatov deserved the decision, to be honest with you. He's coming off a two year layoff into this matchup against McCall. McCall is a pressure fighter, He's small for the division, but he does have a speed advantage against many light heavyweights. McCall was seen as a contender at one point with wins over mid level competition before OSP and Jimmy Cruz submitted him. I think Shamil's right on the line of competition that McCall can exploit. Like, could go either way. McCall's lack of footwork and energy management are a concern. But Shamil has the exact same issues. He doesn't hit as hard, nor is he as fast as McCall. So I'm hoping McCall's has addressed his submission defense, and ability to cut off the cage. Uh, he should take a decision win in this one. But it's hard to be confident, man. There's a reason, uh, there's a reason this is the last pick on our list. Nikolai, this should be interesting. I hope you rack up a bunch of points. I think we got seven picks apiece, right? So if I like lose three or four, you got all your picks right. You could bring it super, super fucking close with this event. Um, I'm kind of hoping it happens because it'll just be a little bit more interesting for the podcast. But I'm quickly going to run through our picks. Your first pick was Lerone Murphy to beat Makwan Armikani. Second, Kamzat Shumaev to beat Li Liang. Your third pick was Damiris Magulov to beat Magomed Mustafayev. Fourth, you took Alexander Volkov to beat Marching Tabura. Your fifth pick was Amanda Hibas to beat Virna Jandiroba. Sixth, you took Peter Yan over Corey Sanhagen. And your final pick was Tagir Ulambekov to beat Alan Namicento. My first pick was Islam Makachev. Second, I took Jan Blachovich. Third, I took Magomed and over Volkan Ozdemir. My fourth pick was Elisabeth Dos Santos over Benoit Saint-Denis. And then I have Albert... Durayev over Roman Kovalov as the fifth pick. My sixth pick was Andrei Petrovsky over Hu Yaozong, and finally my last pick was Ricardo Ramos. Uh, I'm sorry, Zubaira Tokugov to beat Ricardo Ramos. Nick, for the record, I think that your last few picks are better than my last few, so that gives you a pretty good chance in this one. I, I hope you do well, buddy. And Nick, the uh, I, great did, news I did. I is... did my
1: homework this time. I really tried to come equipped and ready to beat you on a ter- and and in so discovered exactly how terrific this card is.
0: You know what, Nick? I'm, I'm glad that it took you 118 episodes to finally do your goddamn homework for. for what I've done my
1: work. homework for plenty of episodes. I went extra. <laughs> I went extra deep. Listen, pal, you won by know, you I won by it, like an inch last year. Okay, it was right down to the wire. So don't get fucking attitude or try.
0: Undefeated, to, undisputed, you're Nick.
1: You're not. Y- yes, you you have. You've won, never sniffed but this have,
0: title, Nikolai.
1: <laughs> but they have been close, closely contested fights.
0: Um, yeah, so, Nick, Nick, the great news is after this phenomenal card that we have coming up, we have possibly an even better card. At least at least it's a little more top-heavy. We've got UFC 268, Usman versus Covington 2 next up. Co-main event, Rose Namajunas, Weili Zhang. The third fight down the card, Justin Gaethje, Michael motherfucking Chandler. Frankie Edgar versus Marlon Veras on this one, man. Shane Burgos versus Billy Quarantillo. Shabazian's coming back against uh, Nasruddin Imavov. Ally Quinta is coming back versus Bobby Green. That's fascinating Those are all to great me. Um, yeah, man. Andreas Michalaitis versus Alex Pereira. Pereira is that training partner of Glover Teixeira that I was referring to, who has two how? wins over Israel Adesanya and in glory. By the way, one of them a horrifying knockout. Um, and then uh, a couple of, you know, okay. How did fights Phil, how how did Phil Haas night. end up Super on this excited. card?
1: When did that happen?
0: That's a good question. He must have been rolled over from the from the recent card that he had. To, oh, he remember uh, he had two via two
1: fights canceled in the last 4 months against Darren Wynn. That's and now right. they got him up against right. against Chris Curtis.
0: Yeah, who is apparently the number one welterweight to the US Southeast Nick. I'm not sure what that means, but listen, he's got he's got a bit of a winning streak. He just beat Kenny Robertson who's, you know, a, a UFC veteran. Um he got, you know, knocked, he got knocked out by Ray
1: Cooper, Ray Cooper uh, III, who's the the Jake Shields yeah, but Ray Ray, Jay Ray, Ray Cooper's like no joke.
0: Yeah, the, J, he beat Roy McDonald, he beat Jake Shields. Like that dude is David Michuad, who's a UFC veteran. Like, there's no shame in losing to that guy, in my opinion. He's like every bit, every bit legit. Although he went on like a bit of a losing streak, and now has been winning nonstop, so it makes you question whether whether he's got his hands on some serious supplements, but also could have just really come into his stride. Nikolai, that'll do it for this episode, man. This was a bit of a long haul. We had so much to cover from UFC 267. I think it'll be worth it, man. I look forward to uh, texting with you over the course of this event, buddy. Yeah,
1: if I can find the time and I've got no one better to text, sure.
0: Motherfucker. You know what? I'm not even going to reply. I'm just not going to (laughs) reply.
1: I got you. Usually you leave me stone cold dead that is true at the, at, end. At the end of that, I, that is i no. might oh, well, well, oh you by the way time.
0: what for, for the record when i said i'm not going to reply i meant that i won't reply on the night of when you do send me texts because we both oh. know you're going to text me at some point yeah, i might All right, dude. You're going to miss me. You're going to think about me every fight that comes up with like a Ruski name on there. You're going to be like, ah, that's almost Jiraev. Ah, that's actually a Jiraev. You're telling me you're not going to text me when Mr. Jiraev is fighting over there? No, I'm
1: going to be like, oh, great. You're going to be texting me like, oh, I used to spar with this guy. Oh, I used to spar with this guy. Oh, I got the better of this guy in sparring. Oh, I sparred with this guy.
0: Nick, Nick, I don't think I've sparred a single person on this card, but I have been on the phone a couple times over the last few months with. with uh, UFC 268's Ally Quinta, but I've never trained with that guy either.
1: What do you, what do you, what do you, call, you call like 1900? Get Al. Like, what are you? What are you talking the phone with Ally Quinta for? Are you trying to buy property? Like, what's going on?
0: Well, I I don't know if you know this. I run the mixed martial arts program at an after school program in Harlem, Nick. I am aware and of that. Yes. And we were considering getting Alaya like Quinta in as a board member. Oh, cool. Uh, so we were kind of in talks at some point with him. I like but, I
1: like. Rage and Alaya Quinta.
0: I do too, man. I hope he's figured out his knee issues because if he's healthy in this one, this could be a really fun fight to watch next week, buddy. Have yourself a good rest of your evening, my friend.
1: You too.